Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where I get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm talking to best-selling sci-fi and fantasy author Lindsay Sparks, who chose a book a lot of you have recommended to me. A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness has legions of cross-genre fans, both for the book series and the television series, and I can totally see why Lindsay thinks it is the best book ever. Listeners, one quick note. Lindsay and I did get into a discussion about portrayals of miscarriages in books and how that can be triggering for people who have experienced it and how difficult it can be to avoid the subject. I have moved that part of our conversation to the end of the podcast. So if this is something you aren't up to right now, I suggest you tap out around the 20-minute mark. That way you can still listen to the book talk, but you can skip the more sensitive part of the conversation. I want to send you all of my love, and I thank you for listening. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you. I have been a guest on your podcast, but we were drinking alcoholic beverages at the time. (laughs) Yes, we were. (laughs) Now it's an early morning and there are no, that I know of, are there alcoholic beverages in your cup? There's none in mine. No. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay, tell me a little bit about your reading life. What kind of a reader are you? Um, I, uh, I don't know. Can you be like a rut reader? Like I get mm. in a rut where I oh, only yeah. read a certain kind of book, <laughs> um, but that rut can change. Um, I generally read things that are like sci-fi or fantasy. Um, and then within there, usually I almost always read books that are um, written by female authors or have a female protagonist um, or both, <laughs> usually both. Um mm. I really like paranormal um, and urban fantasy. I prefer, I don't know how nitty gritty you want me to get into. Um, I prefer uh, first person. Let's see. Um, I do really like dystopian books, but that's one of those, like sometimes I'll go off into like a dystopian tangent for a little while and then I'll come back to my kind of fantasy home. How did you get into those specific genres? How'd you become a sci-fi reader, for example? I would have to say probably Chronicles of Narnia was really where I got started, like as a kid. Um, I remember pretending with one of my friends uh, when I was in, it had to be like older elementary school. I remember pretending um, like we would turn off all the lights in the room and we'd like stick like paper sticker. I don't know. We'd like decorate the room to make it feel like it was going to be Narnia. And then we'd like go into the closet and come back out and pretend that we were in Narnia. I think that from there I moved into... Um, more epic fantasy books. Like, um, I read every single thing that David Eddings ever wrote, um, and was totally into, um, the Belgariad and all of the related series for that. Um, one of my favorite books is still not the one we're talking about today, but is still, um, a David Eddings book, which is the redemption of Alphalus. And it's one of those things where I don't know if that's actually how you say it because I've only ever like read it with my eyeballs. So, (laughs) and what is that? Um, It is. So it's, I think it's the only standalone book that David Eddings wrote. It's um, it's like a, well, it's an epic fantasy. So it's a secondary world fantasy. Um, There's a male protagonist. All of his stuff has male protagonists. Um, And 
it's a, he's a thief. So the main character is a thief. Um, And then he gets kind of like drawn into this whole prophecy, saving the world kind of thing. Um, And I, I don't know, it was different from a lot of the elves and, you know, dwarves kind of fantasy books that, that I had read at that point. Um, And it just was really unique and I really enjoyed it. How did you, you said you specifically are interested in books with female protagonists. How did you get to that point? I remember like once I got started with urban fantasy, I stuck in like, I feel like urban fantasy is my, has my like reading heart. That's my, my home base for reading. Um, And I think maybe Kim Harrison's Hollows series. And why do you think you like it better with a the female? female. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for me, as a uh, female identifying person, um, I feel like I can relate to the characters better. And I, um, I think a lot of readers, especially um, female readers, can get frustrated with the way that female characters are written. Uh, by male authors. Um, And this is kind of interesting. Um, I was reading um, The Heroine's Journey by Gail Carriger. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you read that? I haven't. I haven't read it though. Okay. Well, I highly (laughs) recommend it. It's the story of my life every single... (laughs) I say that at least once per podcast. (laughs) Um, It's new. It's... I think she released it this year. Um, So she's Mm -hmm. an author. Um... And so it's a kind of a counterpoint to the hero's journey and she dissects several different myths. Um, and the heroine's journey doesn't have to center on a female protagonist. It's just kind of like the, um, not like the opposite, but kind of like the, it just balances out, uh, the, the hero's journey. So the hero's journey is really about the, when I say hero's journey, you talk about the Joseph Campbell kind of, uh, it's taught everywhere, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, it's a, it, a lot about like isolation and being strong on your own and like, or like kind of a, um, a very typical Western definition of strength. Um, but then the heroine's journey is a lot more about like building your team and working as a group and um, strength in numbers and cooperation and that kind of thing. Um, and I think I really am drawn to those kinds of stories and a lot of the stories that I'm like I said, like the heroine's journey doesn't require a female protagonist. Um, but a lot of the female protagonist stories do end up having a heroine's journey. And it is, it is about building the team and you end up with really interesting, um, uh, supporting characters and, you know, people who you would want them to have their own story. Um, and I really love it when, when not just the main character has, you know, all the, like the interesting backstory and the mm-hmm. fun characteristics and stuff. And when everybody feels like a real person. The the thing that jumped out at me the second you were describing the difference between those two books is um, the Harry Potter series is a perfect yes. example, right? Yes. Because yes. he always thinks like, I'm going to do it myself. I'm not going to tell any grownups. And he, it gets him in trouble over and over. And Hermione and Ginny are always going, dude, you need yeah. the team. Yeah. And, and it, at its core, Harry Potter is a heroine's journey because it is like the way that he's able to find success is by drawing on his team and his group comes together. And Harry doesn't, Harry, it's never about like, that's when he's the weakest is when he tries to go off on his own. 
Mm-hmm. And it's when he falls back on and relies on his team that he is able to actually like overcome a lot of these obstacles and is able to be successful in his journey. By my count, you've written around 25, 26 books that I saw mm-hmm. on your website. You have three different podcasts. <laughs> you have- Do I have three different podcasts? Oh, that's what your website says. I do. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Oh, see, one's not like... Okay. Do you know how, do you know how many kids you have? <laughs> I have two. Okay. But I and also have both- cats and dogs. So like you could include them if you wanted. Will you tell my listeners how it is that you're able to make reading a priority in your life? Cause I can, as I'm looking at you, there's a giant bookshelf behind you. You're clearly an avid reader. How do you make time for reading in your life? Audiobooks. So are you able to do that with the kids around? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I am blessed with, um, very independent young children, um, which is funny (laughs) to say because one of my kids is not even one years old, but, uh, my kids are perfectly happy to have me sit in a room with them and, um, they'll go around and like play with toys and explore the room. We have a, a, a room that's set up just for them, um, and it's blocked off so they can't get out of it. Uh, and so I sit in there with them and they play with their toys and they come over to me and, you know, we'll, I'll pause my book and then we'll, you know, play together and then they'll go off and do their own thing again. So, um, yeah, so I just listen while I'm hanging out with them or I pause it when they need my actual like ears as well as my eyes. <laughs> so you're really comfortable with reading in very small increments. I think that goes back to my whole just laid back flexibility kind of thing, you know, go with the flow. Um, and also, uh, my, my baby is still nursing. So, um, when I go off with him alone, I listen to a book then Mm -hmm. because it's just like my little peaceful time. Listen, everyone gets excited about the start of pumpkin spice season, and then when I point out that the holidays come next, y'all go bananas. But I'm not afraid of you people. I am hard at work on my second annual kids' gift-giving episode, in which I interview a bunch of young people about books. And I would love to talk to your favorite young reader. This was my most popular episode last year, and my favorite to record because kids are the best people. If you know a young person, ages 5 to 20, who would like to tell me about their favorite book, I would really love to talk to them. Go to my website, juliewroteabook.com, and click on the button that says, Be a Guest on the Second Annual Kids YA Gift-Giving Guide. I can't wait to hear from you. Now, back to the show. So can you tell me how did you find today's book, um, A Discovery of Witches? Yeah. Um, so I found a discovery of witches when I was working at a bookstore before I started writing, it was actually right before I started writing. So I was working at a bookstore, um, in Napa with, um, Lindsay Pogue, who is my co-author for the first book and series I ever wrote Mm -hmm. previous guest of the show who's also been a guest on the show Mm -hmm. um, and is also my co-host for a podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're like very involved in each other's lives. This book came out uh, as a new release while I was working um, at the bookstore. I was very in, in a 
paranormal romance, urban fantasy kind of phase. Um, not that I ever really get out of that, but that, that was hardcore where I was at that point. And that was in the time of, I think it was like the first season or maybe the second season of um, True Blood. So I was like really into vampires. Um, I loved that show early on. I've read those books. Um, I was like just devouring any book that had vampires at that point. Um, anyway, so back to a discovery of witches. So that came out. Um, I loved the cover uh, and uh, I started reading it and I was like, oh my God, this book is amazing because it was a paranormal romance vampire book that had been smushed together with the Da Vinci Code. Like it was just like this historical academic mystery. Uh-huh spun through this vampire like grown-up twilight-esque tale it hit all of my buttons it fits on everything that I would want there to be in a book I love like these academic mysteries combined with paranormal elements um I just think it's really fun another author who does this really well is um Elizabeth Hunter in her elemental mysteries series is is discovery of witches? What genre do you call it? You keep saying academic mystery, and that's what I would think of it. But before this conversation, I always considered it. When I saw it in the bookstore, I always thought paranormal romance. Yeah, I would say paranormal romance. It. Oh, interesting. But I mean, it's very cross genre. But I think Deborah Harkness did something really neat here by kind of smushing in that more Da Vinci Code like academic thriller element and so very cross genre I would say but paranormal romance at its heart and I think the way that I would decide that is by saying that um I think way more paranormal romance readers would be interested in this and its academic thriller elements than academic thriller readers would be interested in in it for its paranormal romance elements if that makes any sense Mm. I, I did actually jot a note down that um, people who I think have no interest in romance really love this series. Yes. Or no interest in um, fantasy. Mm-hmm. I feel like it has the story could stand alone or stand on its own if you took out the paranormal elements, oh, yeah. which is yeah. I have no idea who said this, um, but there is a famous classic sci fi author who said something along the lines of a sci-fi story should be able to stand alone or stand on its own as a whole complete fulfilling story, even if you took out all of the sci-fi elements. So telling writers that they need to not just rely on the world building and like the more fantastical elements of their story to keep readers interested, but that at the heart of a story, you need to actually have like a story that could function in any setting. I'm trying to think now of things that have crossed over. I never read sci-fi, but I read The Martian. Oh and my God, that book is so good. And and even though like one of the best things about that book is all of the crazy nitty gritty like science like details that Andy Weir throws in there. At the heart of that story, it is about like this man's will to survive. Like he yes. is not going to give up. So that that story could have been like in some mountain wilderness. That is so good. Of course, that's exactly right, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. exactly the key. Is that if the story is there, everything else is sort of not window dressing, but a little bit. It's yeah, just format. Yeah. It's always so interesting to me that 
eternal beings are always academic for some reason, which I think is so fascinating. And I, I've always been curious about that, why the paranormal does, te- not all of them, of course, because some of them are just having sex. Yeah, that I tend to lose interest. I need a little bit more, um, I don't know, and not story, because you can't have, you can have story when it's, you know, very carnal. Um, I don't know. I just feel like I like the academic. I like it when there's like some, there's like some historical mystery or especially in a discovery of witches, um, Matthew, the vampire, um, Mm -hmm. who's very old. He has like really, at least the last few centuries before we meet him, he has like been devoting his life to trying to answer the question of where do vampires and the other creatures in this world come from and trying to figure out where they're going, like what's next for creatures. Um, and I think like, I totally agree with kind of your observation here where these immortal beings. So vampires are the only ones in this world that are immortals. Um, but it's like, they're kind of like over the physical, like it's just boring. Like they've done it all. They've felt it all. And the only thing, the only thing of wonder that's left to them is is this more, I don't know, academic, esoteric, sort Mm. of philosophical experience that they can only, that only they can have because only they can spend centuries studying something, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas the rest of the warm bloods, as they call them, are limited to the, the normal lifespan. I really like the stories where there's that kind of like tension between what do humans know versus what don't humans know? And so like in this one, um, the non-human creatures are still hidden. Um, but then in um, the Southern Vampire Chronicles or Southern Vampire, with the, the True Blood series, um, they had recently come out of the coffin. So <laughs> um, human, human, the human world was aware of, at least vampires. And then in um, the Hollows series by Kim Harrison, the witches and vampires and other magical creatures had come out like 50 years earlier when um, humanity was suffering from a disease that was going to kill them all unless the creatures stepped in and there was like magical intervention. Um, so I love like the different ways that that is explored in all of these different worlds by all of these different authors. And I think it's a really interesting tension to look at um, what would happen or what would our world be like if there were magical creatures and they came out, like, how would we react? What would that do? And I think it really brings to head some of the real life tensions that we see every day Mm -hmm. in the less magical differences that, that people um, perceive. It also kind of bums me out. There was this one scene in discovery of witches where, um, she says this one line about like, um, she's a witch, he's a vampire, and she can't bear to go to breakfast. It's better than going to breakfast and having him glare at her over his coffee in the morning. It was just like a throwaway line. And I literally obsessed about it because I thought, is she saying that even eternal creatures who know everything and have seen everything still have these petty hatreds and biases and prejudices? Like are are what is what we're saying? We have no chance here. Is that what we're yeah. saying? Because my God, that's a depressing thought. 
Yeah. And I think it's actually pretty interesting the way that um, Deborah Harkness looks at this because the main character in this book, who we, her perspective, so it's first person for the most Diana. part, there is a little bit of third person thrown in there with other characters, but Diana. So her perspective is she's a little bit of an unreliable narrator, even though she doesn't know it. So like she doesn't know that she has been really sheltered purposely by, she's a witch, by the other witches in her life. She has been, um, her magical power, which is actually quite unusual and extreme has been subdued by the adults when she was a child by the adults in her life for reasons to protect her. Um, and she has been kind of not necessarily purposely, but, um, almost as a byproduct of subduing her magical power, she has been, um, kept away from the magical world and she hasn't really learned a lot about the magical world. So she, what she perceives as these just like kind of prejudices between the different, um, and there definitely are some very extreme prejudices between the three different kinds of creatures, which is vampires and demons. Um, but she doesn't understand that there's like actual laws and like a governing organization and she doesn't know any of this. So to her, it's just like, Oh, well creatures, you know, witches stick to their own vampires don't like witches. Like in her head, it is very much like, it's just about prejudice. Whereas as she learns more about the world that she's been kind of ignoring for three decades, um, she comes to see that there's some reasons behind why these things have happened. Um, so yeah, there's just a little, another interesting tension in here between kind yeah. of like Diana's ignorance, which is funny because she is this really like accomplished academic, but she right. also doesn't know any of the actual history of her people. No, it's a series, right? <laughs> yes. It's a trilogy. Does the trilogy stand up to the first book? Like, do, do you feel like they all have the same quality? I definitely would say the first book is my favorite. The second book, they travel back in time to Elizabethan England. And the author, Deborah Harkness, is a historian. Um, like she is an actual historian. The second book takes us back and really explores a lot of stuff about Elizabethan England. And to me, it just got like a little bit nitty gritty in wandering. But anyway, I just read it, I think for the third time. I listened to the audiobook and I just finished it and just started book three again. And um, I definitely didn't have any problem. However, I did have to skip over a part in the middle. There is a miscarriage in the second book and I have mm. suffered from a miscarriage before. And so I definitely get um, kind of, uh, I can't, I can't really handle reading or seeing mm. movies or shows that, that include that kind of stuff anymore. Mm. Um, so I knew that was coming. So I just skipped over like the middle part of the book. <laughs> My God, that's a hard one to avoid. How do you, how do you navigate that in your, I yeah. can't think that I have, ever, I don't know that I've ever seen any kind of trigger warning for. I don't know if I have either. I, um, I don't feel like I've, let me think. I'm not sure if I've encountered it in a book. I know I've like passed on movies and and shows oh no 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 uh have you watched virgin river mm -mm. no um so the show it's based on a book or a series of books there is a miscarriage in there um and i almost had to stop watching it 
Um, and I think when I, that was my first encounter with, uh, a, like a fictional depiction of a miscarriage that made me like a lot more cautious about the things that I was, that was the first one I had encountered since experiencing my own. And it made me a lot more cautious about, uh, diving into books and stories that might include that. It didn't, it, it definitely hit me a lot harder than I was expecting. Oh, I mean, okay. it's a tough one. People don't talk about it very much. Um, well, there's our problem. Yeah. And I, it's definitely, um, something that, I don't know when you're going through it, you feel so alone because people don't talk about it so much. Mm. Um, and it, you know, there's a lot of like shame and, um, yeah, it's just like a society stigma. That's just really harmful. Um, which is weird that it's so isolating because of my friend group, I am the only one I know who never experienced it. Do you know? I mean, it's, it is very common. Yeah, it it is. And I think that um because it's not talked about. Yeah. Like people don't realize how common it is. But it's um it's definitely one of those things that that you don't realize how common it is. I mean, you like you read it read about it in textbooks or you read about it on the internet and in articles and stuff about the statistics. Like it's really really common. Mm-hmm. Um but um you don't realize how many people in your life have experienced it until you go through it yourself and then people start like bringing out their own personal stories. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So despite the fact that it was so difficult for you to get through the second book, you skipped that part as you were listening mm-hmm. to book two and then you kept going. So you felt like the book was worth it to. Go yeah. On. Yeah. Well, I knew she was going to get pregnant again. So, <laughs> mm. and, and she was going to have a, a successful pregnancy later. So for me, having that be a touchy subject for me, it helps to see the a character who can um, move on and turn turn something positive, um, or make something positive out of something that is, has been so difficult. And then, what do you think of book three? Well, you're rereading that one right now, so you must also like that one, I gather. You know, I it's been so long since I originally read book three that I can't remember what happened. So I'm actually <laughs> oh, cool. really, really excited um, because it feels like reading uh, it for the first time. So given unlimited time, would you still prefer an audiobook, or if, if you had the opportunity to read more uh, paper books, would you do that? Because you clearly like paper books. I see them behind you. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I realize it's probably from your past life. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, some, um, I did just read recently a few months ago. I read most of, I still have a couple books left the court of thorns and roses series Mm. in paper. Um, I really prefer paperback over, um, ebook, um, only because I don't know what the deal is, but with ebook, I, tend to forget about the books more, or I, yeah. I, I don't know. It's not like the stories, it can be the exact same book. It's just something about like holding the book and seeing the cover every time you open it. And it just it kind of makes the book leave a, more of a lasting impression. Um, maybe it's cause there's more of a visual, visual cue, but I'm, I'm definitely not like, I, I like eBooks. Like they're easier to hold. <laughs> um, I have the exact same reaction to e-readers and and I always ask people this question and I have had people tell me that they 
prefer their, they remember more on e-readers because of the highlight function and the ability to look up and all that, which I still highlight, but I I feel the same way. Like it just leaves my head the second I Mm -hmm. set the Kindle down and I can't, I can't understand what the cognitive dissonance is there, but something about it does not stick in my head. I don't know why. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I think something else that is interesting with paperback books for me, like I'm, (laughs) I'm sure this is like a cardinal sin to a lot of readers, but I totally cheat. And I'll like, if I, if I'm like starting to get the feeling that like characters are going to get together or like something's going to happen, I'll just like flip like forward a chunk of the book and just like (laughs) gently skim a few pages to see like, is anything going to happen? Or like, if I want to see like, how long do I have to wait until they hook up? I'm like, when is this, when is there going to be like a kiss? Can we at least like get some action? Why do you do that? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Oh my God. What if you skipped ahead and you found out and then he shot her or something like that? It would be terrible. I know it's something I've done for as long as I can remember. And it's definitely not going to (laughs) stop. Wow. All right. I would say that something that um, I like about the audiobook experience is that that's not an option. So I can just really like zone out into the audio. I mean, I don't zone out, especially not when I'm watching my children, but I can, (laughs) I can let the story take me on the author or on the journey that the author intended. (laughs) Will you tell my listeners where they can find you and your work? Oh yeah. Um, So they can find me at uh, authorlindsaysparks.com is my website. And, um, there they can find my links to kind of all of my places online. Um, the number one place (laughs) where I spend the most time is my Facebook reader group, which is called Lindsay's lovely readers. Okay. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, please go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie Wrote a Book. Remember, whenever you're book shopping, help support indie bookstores and this podcast by using my affiliate link at bookshop.org slash shop slash best book ever. Bookshop's mission is to support local independent bookstores. And if you shop using my link, I get a small percentage of your purchase at no extra expense to you. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.